Well, good morning. We're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. I'm just going to share for uh, about 20 minutes, and then we'll, we'll watch a little Moody Science video. It's, uh, um, well, you'll see it. It'll be, it'll be a blessing, I trust. I'd like to share a couple of thoughts from some verses in Psalm 71 that have been very meaningful to me over the past several years. God pointed these verses out to me at a time when he was using special circumstances to bring about much-needed change in my life. Did you know that God's really good at using circumstances to shape our lives? It's no wonder he told us that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. It was a time in my life when God began showing me that I had problems that I could not overcome and responsibilities that I could not fulfill on my own and that I really needed him. I already had the, the head knowledge that my strength wasn't en enough and that his strength was what I needed to accomplish his purpose in my life. So at that time, God was working to take those truths from my head to my heart to, by allowing me to experience situations that were outside of my control. Just to illustrate our, our need for help on a, on a physical level, many of us perhaps remember times when we were hit, the re hit with the reality that we couldn't do something by ourselves. I had an experience recently where I was attempting to hoist a, a battery bank up into a loft about eight feet high. And if you've, if you've picked up batteries before, you'll know that they're very heavy. Now, I could have asked for help, but instead, in a typical I-can-do-this style, I tried doing it myself. And when I grabbed the battery bank, I climbed partway up this rickety ladder. And just when I thought I was there, I lost my balance and had to bail. Being hit with the reality that I should have gotten help came when my feet hit the ground and the battery bank hit my knee. <laughs> we need to realize that we in ourselves don't have what it takes to live the Christian life. We need to realize that it's only through Jesus that we have what it takes. Let me ask it a little bit, put it a little bit different way here. Perhaps someone asks you to do something that you know you can't do without God's help. What should you do? Should you simply write it off because it's something that falls into the category of, I can't? Oh, how my flesh likes the I can't card. Anyone have an I can't card? Because if, if me thinks I can't, then me thinks I have a good, a good excuse to not. But is that a good excuse? With the... While the flesh likes the I can't card, it's something that our spirit wrestles with. Because if your flesh thinks, I can't, then you probably need some help, and that can get awfully uncomfortable at times. Why? Because it hurts our pride. Because we, we want to be in control of what goes on in our life. But that's not God's way. He bought us with the blood of Jesus and deserves to have control of every part of our life. When he brings opportunities our way and he wants to use us, he will give us what we need to accomplish it. So when we're asked to do something that's outside of our ability to do, that we can't do without God's help, it's not ours to say no, but to seek him, to seek his face for what our answer ought to be. 
Could I challenge you, what's, what's your first reaction when you're asked to do something outside of your ability? Could I, could I challenge you to always ask God first? Don't let I can't be the reason for turning down an opportunity. There are legitimate reasons for saying no to requests, but always seek God's will before making that decision. I have to be honest. My, my first response to pastor's request for um, preaching this morning was, probably not. In other words, I can't. But God put his finger on that and said, you know better than that. Look to me. Be honest about the situation. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, it is true that we, there are things that I cannot do, but that's not the whole truth. If you're a believer in Jesus today, the rest of the truth is I can't, but God can. Don't leave out the flip side of the I can't card. When we're completely honest in light of God's word, we would recognize that without him, we don't have what it takes to share the gospel with someone. We don't have what it takes to make God-honoring decisions. We don't have what it takes to confront a brother or sister over sin and restore them to fellowship with God. We don't have what it takes to encourage others in their walk with God. We don't have what it takes to serve other, one, other loved ones with the right heart attitude. We don't have what it takes to confront a godless society with the truth of God's word. But with him, and the strength that he gives, we can, or more accurately, he can through us. God, by his wonderful grace, allows us to go through experiences out of our control so that we'll turn to him for the strength and help that we need. When I speak of strength, I'm not talking about physical strength or ability, though God does sometimes provide that. I'm talking spiritually here. The strength of the Lord in a believer can be defined as God's power to accomplish God's will in the life of God's child. It's true that spiritual strength sometimes results in the operation of physical muscles, like Peter getting out of the boat. But Peter, at least to begin with, wasn't trusting his physical muscles to stay up on the water. He was trusting in the strength of the Lord to do what he could not do by himself. Let's look at Psalm 71 now. We'll be focusing on verses 14 to 16, but I'll just read um, from verse 1 to, to put it in context here. In Psalm 71, we find David once again crying to God. For His response is an example to us of how we ought to respond in, to problems and really how we ought to live day by day. In verse 1, he begins by declaring his trust in God. Let's read it here. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline thine ear unto me and save me. Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given commandment to save me, for thou art my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O God, o God out of the hand of the wicked out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. For thou art my hope, O Lord God. Thou art my trust from my youth. By thee have I been holden up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. 
Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. For mine enemies speak against me, and they that lay wait for my soul take counsel together, saying, O, saying, God hath forsaken him. Persecute and take him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste for my help. Let them be confounded and consumed that are adversaries to my soul. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor that seek my hurt. And folks, here's how it gets good. Here's where it gets good. Here's how God responds in the midst of circumstances outside of his control. And here's how we ought to respond in the midst of ours. He says in verse 14, But I will hope continually and will yet praise thee more and more. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. Just three quick points this morning from those three verses. The first is our focus in life, our purpose through life, and our strategy for life. So number one, our focus in life. David says, but I will hope continually. Hope is, is to wait with expectation. For Christians, it's a joyful and confident expectation of, of salvation, and of seeing and being with Jesus one day. In spite of the political landscape we find ourselves in or the worst problems that we face on a personal level, we as God's children have something that far outweighs these trials. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So our focus is a hope in Jesus. Here's what this hope does in our lives when we keep it in view. 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. See, purity is the absence of those things that are, that are unclean. Purity in a believer is being rid of those things in our life that are not godly. There's a, a purifying or a cleansing aspect to keeping this blessed hope daily before our eyes. David says, I will hope continually, not just when I'm in trouble, but continually. The hope that we have is, is not in a thing, but in a person Jesus. The more we hope in Jesus, the less effect the world can have on us. It's like the songwriter said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Keep your eyes focused on that blessed hope, on Jesus. It's the only way to keep the right perspective in every aspect of life. God uses that focus in our lives to keep our attention away from things that would distract us or otherwise cause us to worry. 
He says, but I will hope continually and will yet praise thee more and more. Praise is, is that which we offer to God in response to our understanding of his goodness, his greatness, and, and for what he's done. He is worthy. He is worthy of all our praise and so much more. Speaking, speaking of God's greatness, this is a side note, it's, it's so far beyond our comprehension. We started reading the book of Genesis as a family last night and um, started contemplating God's eternality and, and how he didn't have a beginning. And someone asked the question, if God existed from eternity past, why did he wait so long to make the earth? You get a Charlie horse in your brain if you try thinking that one through. <laughs> but it's just so wonderful to think of how great God is. Ever run out of things to pray for or to praise God for? I'll tell you what, God's word is rich with who God is. When we are praising him as we should, our focus in life will shift from what it, whatever it is we worry about to just how wonderful our God is. Are you hoping in Jesus? Do you praise him more and more as you learn more and more about him? So number one, our focus in life is to hope in Jesus. Our purpose through life is to proclaim the truth of Jesus to sinners and to saints alike. Verse 15 David says, my mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. Our purpose is to proclaim with our mouths the righteousness of God, that is who he is. Showing forth his righteousness is praising God for who he is before men. When's the last time you told someone, hey, have you heard about my God? Have you heard about the, how wonderful and loving and great he is? So we proclaim his righteousness and his salvation. That's what he's done for us. When's the last time you told someone, hey, have you heard about what God did for me? Have you heard about what God has done for you? He says he'll declare his righteousness and salvation. For I know not the numbers thereof. I don't know how long I have on this earth, in other words. He's implying here that because he, he doesn't know how long he has, he's going to make the best use of time. James 4, 13 and 14 says, Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Are you fulfilling God's purpose for your life? Are you declaring his righteousness and his salvation wherever he leads you? So number one, our focus is to hope in Jesus. Number two, our purpose is to proclaim the truth of God's word. And number three, our strategy for life is to go in the strength of the Lord. He says in verse 16, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. The strength of the Lord. God doesn't look for what we think are the strong points in our life to use us in. He wants our willingness to trust him for the strength that he offers to accomplish his purpose through our lives. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Jesus responding to 
Paul's request for alleviance from the, the thorns in the flesh that he had. He said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, my strength is made perfect in your absence of strength. Whenever we realize that God works best through us, when we give him every part of our life, even those things that we see as hindrances or as weaknesses, we can say with Paul, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. As we face so many unknowns ahead of us, let us hope in Jesus, pursuing his purpose for our lives, trusting him completely to accomplish his will through us. Those are the thoughts I have this morning. Um, trust they are an encouragement to you. Uh, at this time, we'll be watching a, a moody science film. Um, last week, Pastor spoke on 2 Chronicles 19 through 20 about a time in the life of Jehoshaphat when he exemplified one who set his heart to seek the Lord. Yet even as he set his heart to seek the Lord, Jehoshaphat was faced with problems that, he could, only, that could only be solved with God's help. Through his trials, he set his hope in God and sought him for deliverance. God responded to Jehoshaphat's, Jehoshaphat's trust through the prophet Jehaziel and sent an answer that gave Jehoshaphat and all Judah great cause for rejoicing. He said, Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed for this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. This Moody film takes an aeronautical theme and illustrates the importance of our need to trust God totally and completely using the guiding instrument of his word, the Bible. Ethan, if you'll play that at this time.
An airport is busy, fascinating. Excited people hurrying to travel to far off places. The hustle and bustle of planes arriving and departing. But in the background, there is a kind of drama enacted here that few people ever see. It holds a fascination all its own. Clearance delivery, Niner 6 Tango. ATC clears, Twin Bonanza, 6 Niner 6 Tango. To the Denver Airport, via Victor 208, Victor 8. Cross Wilmington intersection at or above 6,000. Maintain 8,000. Propellers. Set for takeoff. Magnetos. Check. Freedom and travel of flight controls. Check. Altimeter clock and gyros. Check. Doors and windows closed and locked. Check. Landing gear circuit breakers. Check. Fuel boost on. Check. Okay, we're ready to roll. Los Angeles Tower, Niner 6 Tango's ready. Niner 6 Tango, Los Angeles Tower, runway 25 left, clear for takeoff. Contact departure control 124.3 after takeoff. Los Angeles departure control, Twin Bonanza 69er 6 Tango's airborne 25 left. Twin Bonanza 9er 6 Tango, Los Angeles departure control, radar contact crossing the shoreline. Maintain heading 250 for radar vector to Victor 208. Report leaving 7000. Hello there. Welcome aboard 696 Tango. Your co pilot, I'm happy to say, is my son Jim. I think maybe, Jim, this might be a good time to tell just what's happening here in the cabin. As you can see, we're flying through heavy overcast. We can't see more than a few yards, so we now have to use our instruments to tell us where we are and what the aircraft is doing. This sort of instrument flight is necessary anytime visual reference is lost. This loss of vision can be caused by haze, bad weather, or even just a dark night. The instruments are controlling our flight path automatically but it's still the pilot's responsibility to program the autopilot, monitor the instruments, and be prepared to take over manually. We are also being tracked and assisted by men on the ground Bonanza, using Niner radar. Niner 6 Tango, Niner 6 Tango is out of 7,000. Twin Bonanza, Niner 6 Tango, Roger. Your position six miles west of Wilmington intersection. Contact Los Angeles Center Radar 126.0 now. This kind of flying is a far cry from the old days, believe me. In the early days, the airplane was more a toy than a tool. 
barnstorming pilots risked their lives and thrilled all of us with the air circus. Early day pilots flew entirely by their senses. Sight, balance, direction. Seat of the pants flying, they called it. And they were good at it. There wasn't much they couldn't do with an airplane, except fly in the clouds. Whenever they tried, something went wrong. And usually, someone was killed. Of course, those early planes didn't have the instruments we now know the pilots needed. Today, the law demands that every plane be instrument equipped. But some so-called weather accidents still happen. Why? Well, let's investigate one of these accidents. A private pilot and three friends were returning home at dusk. As darkness began to fall, it became more difficult to see clouds. And suddenly, they were actually in the clouds. The plane was reported missing and a search was started. I see. Colonel Richards, I wonder if I might ask you a few questions just to hear for a moment. How long has, been, has the search and rescue mission been operating? About 72 hours now. It uh, started last Monday morning. Uh, how many planes have been involved in the search? Well, 35 planes. Planes from the Air Force, Civil Air Patrol, uh, the United States Navy, and the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Aereo Squadron. This is a difficult thing I know for you to answer, Colonel, but what do you think the chances are of uh, survival for these fellows? Well, of course, uh, we don't like to take any negative attitude on a thing like this, but from past experience and searches in this type of weather, this type of, of terrain, this period of the year, a white plane on a white background of snow, it's very difficult. We participated in the search and shared some of the frustrations of the colonel and his men. Unfortunately, the plane was hidden beneath a blanket of snow, and the search finally had to be called off. Later, the snow melted, and the wreckage was discovered. Yes, four men died here. Needlessly so. We call this a typical weather accident. A pilot, a good one, but not qualified, not equipped for the kind of weather he found himself in. This plane was actually torn apart in the air by the violent maneuvers of a totally disoriented pilot. Now, keeping in mind what you have just seen, I want you to listen to a tape recording of another pilot who was not prepared for what he encountered. This one is flying a well-equipped twin-engined airplane, but he too is not an instrument pilot. He will lose control of the aircraft within 30 seconds after he enters the clouds. Unit 6-4 Alpha, are you equipped and qualified to fly instruments? I have enough instruments to fly. Uh, I have uh, maybe 18 hours, but I have not got a reading on IFR as of yet. Cessna 6-4 Alpha, and what are your intentions? I would like to come on in. Authority to descend through the IFR conditions to land. 
Lost radar contact. At that moment, the plane crashed and the pilot and his two passengers were killed. We at Moody Institute of Science are deeply concerned about these crashes because we're convinced that most of them are completely unnecessary. Why then did they happen? We've studied the problem from many angles. Modern aircraft and instrument design, the nature of the so-called graveyard spiral, and the many human factors involved. We have a growing conviction that the most basic part of the problem is a widespread misconception concerning the human balance mechanism. Now, if you're a pilot, what you will see and hear in the next few minutes could well be the best life insurance you could have. Jim? Now, we all know that we can walk about with our eyes shut and maintain our balance. But did you know that a pilot can't fly with his eyes shut? With his eyes shut, he can't tell whether he's flying straight, turning, climbing, or diving. Oh, and I know there are some that won't agree with that statement. Many feel that all that we need to maintain our balance is the inner ear sense. But this can be a very dangerous misconception. The subject for our demonstration is a gymnast. He has a highly developed sense of balance and sense of direction. We're going to blindfold Don so that he will have to rely on just the information coming from his inner ears to try and tell us what's happening. Are you ready? Yes. I'm turning to the right. 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 Still turning to the right. Now I'm slowing down. I've begun to slow down, slowing down. Slowing down, slower, I've stopped. I'm stopped. Are you sure? Yes. Now I'm turning to the left, and this time faster. I'm turning to the left. Are you dizzy? No, I'm not dizzy. All right, take off the blindfold. Oh, boy, now I am dizzy. Look at those eyes. While Don's eyes were covered, without even knowing it, he lost contact with reality. The instant the blindfold was removed, there was a conflict between what he felt and what he saw that was so deep-seated that the mind simply could not resolve it, and the subject is incapacitated for some time. A careful look at the balance mechanism within the ear will show us why. The organ is made up of three interconnected canals, and is filled with a fluid. This is a model of just one canal. We use the red ball so that you can tell when the fluid is moving. This represents a sensing hair, 
and there are thousands of these. Even a slight motion disturbs the sensors. As we start a turn, the fluid momentarily lags due to its inertia. The sensors bend, and turning cues are transmitted to the brain. But this is where the pilot can get into real trouble. Notice that the fluid is catching up with the canal. And when the speed of the fluid and the speed of the canal are the same, the sensing hairs are erect, and we think we're stopped. Now stop the canal, and the fluid rushes on, bending the sensors in the opposite direction. And we think we're turning the other way, even though we're not turning at all. Obviously, our sense of balance must involve something more than just the inner ear, and it does. Our balance is made up of three senses, the inner ear, vision, and the proprioceptive sense, or the sense of movement and position coming from within the body. The inner ear, then, is just one part of an integrated system. And as we have seen, it can't function properly by itself. To be able to fly, a pilot must have a visual reference that will override the false sensations coming from his other senses. The instrument pilot has this visual override. He can see because he has the instruments, which for him provide an even more precise reference than another pilot would have flying in clear weather. Now it is true that all pilots have and at times use instruments in flight. But some have the mistaken idea that this makes them instrument pilots. The thing they don't realize is that when flying in clear air, even though they're concentrating on the instruments, their visual override is coming from outside the airplane. Remember the pilot involved in that first crash? He had been practicing instrument flight for some time. Listen to the words of the second pilot. Before a pilot can fly solely by reference to instruments, he has to develop a unique skill that will allow the instruments to become a substitute for the normal visual reference. And he has to have a faith in those instruments that becomes a way of life. If he feels like he's turning and the instruments tell him he's flying straight, he believes the instruments. And then his vision overrides the false sensations so that he isn't even conscious of them. This allows him to fly with complete safety in conditions that would kill the non-instrument pilot. All airline and military pilots are instrument pilots, and they're flying all over the world in all kinds of weather with the highest degree of safety. If we could expect any man to be an exception to the rules regarding instrument flight, it would be one of the astronauts. Mentally and physically, they are the finest. Let's see what astronaut John Glenn has to say about instrument flight. But we run into the same disorientation problems in spaceflight from the operations of the inner ear that uh, any private pilot runs into in normal everyday flying. Uh, what we found is that we, we have to rely on our instruments, have complete faith in them, just as a, a private pilot must come up to the time when he makes his decision when he's going into bad weather, whether he relies on his own senses or whether he uh, switches over and relies on the instruments. Uh, We've learned, of course, uh, through many years of experience, we must have faith in our, our instruments. Colonel, it's interesting to hear you mention faith. There are some today who feel that faith is old-fashioned and that somehow scientific knowledge has made faith unnecessary. Is this your experience? No, I, quite the opposite, I think. I think uh, faith is even more necessary today than it's ever been. We have faith in the instruments. We have faith in the 
the forces that are working the compass that we can't see or feel. We have faith in it, and uh, we've both staked our lives many times on it. Over the past years, we have used 9-6 Tango to photograph subjects which, without a plane, would be most difficult, such as these ancient ruins of Tikal deep in the jungles of Guatemala, or this work in the Arctic, or here in Africa. We've flown in bad weather in nearly every country of the world. Going left, turn right five degrees. So well above the glide path, passing through the southeast gap at the present time. You're well clear of high ground. Hong Kong Tower, 696 Tango, clearance. Uh, ATC clears 696 Tango to Taipei via Green 8, Red 3. Our experience has been that instrument flying is reliable, trustworthy, and safe. Of course, there are a few places in the world where air traffic control just isn't available. We're now flying into one of them, the heart of the vast Libyan desert. We're hundreds of miles from civilization searching for a ghost bomber a plane that has come out of the past to tell an unforgettable story of the need for faith in the instruments. There she is now, the mystery ship, the Lady Be Good. Discovery of the Lady Be Good triggered one of the most baffling investigations in military history. Air Force records revealed that the plane and her crew had disappeared on their first combat mission. Finding her here, more than a thousand miles from her target, and exactly the opposite direction from her base seemed impossible. Yet there could be no question. This was the Lady Be Good. Major Robertus, the story of the Lady Be Good certainly is one of the real sagas of World War II. I understand that uh, you made the first flight out here. Well, that's right, I did, Doctor. And uh, what did you find at that time? What was the condition of the plane? Well, I would say that the condition of the Lady Be Good at that time was considerably different than you see it today. Uh, all the glass was in place, the gun all in place and fully loaded, and of course all the propellers were on. It was known that the Lady had reached the target area near Naples and had headed for her base at Benghazi low on fuel. For 17 years, it was assumed that the plane ran out of fuel somewhere over the Mediterranean. Finding a plane that had been low on fuel 442 miles past her base was puzzling indeed. But the fate of the crew became an even greater mystery. From the condition of the wreckage, it was determined that the crew had bailed out just before the crash. But then they seemed to have vanished without a trace. Finally, after more than a year, the bailout point was discovered. This parachute harness was discarded by a member of the crew. The exposed edges were cut by sharp blowing sand. The rest looks practically new. This empty flare shell was found on the desert. Lieutenant Waravka's body was discovered nearby. Perhaps he was the fortunate one. His chute failed to open. But what about the other men? It was felt they could not have gotten far. Daytime temperatures were at least 135 to 140 degrees. The experts said they couldn't have walked more than 50 miles. Purely by accident, five bodies were finally discovered here 
an incredible 78 miles from the bailout point. Let me read from a diary found beside one of the bodies. Thursday the 8th, hit sand dunes, very miserable. Continuous blowing of sand. Everyone now very weak. Thought Sam and Moore were all done. Lamont's eyes are gone. Everyone else's eyes are bad. And on Friday the 9th, Shelley, Rip, Moore, separate and try to go for help. Rest of us all very weak. It seems impossible that three men could have struggled on, but they did. Sergeant Ripslinger, referred to as Rip in the diary, fought on another 26 miles. Sergeant Shelley made it to this point. He had walked 114 miles. The body of Sergeant Moore has not yet been discovered. How far he got, we may never know. What quirk of fate was it that could have lured these men so far past their base and to their death in the desert? That night, as they returned from Naples, it seemed the crew had barely settled down for the long trip home when the instruments began acting strangely. The ADF needle swung around, indicating they had passed their base. Why, they weren't due home for hours. The crew was faced with a most difficult decision. They wanted to trust their instruments, but logic told them they must be wrong. They must be damaged, or maybe the enemy was sending out a decoy. They couldn't be home yet, so they continued on. The moment they lost faith in their instruments, their only hope was to spot the beacon light at Benghazi. So the pilot descended beneath the clouds, and everyone started looking for a light they would never see. It was already many miles behind them. You see, there was another logical explanation for what happened that night. One that agreed perfectly with the instruments. At their particular altitude, they could have encountered an unusually high tailwind, which sent them whizzing past their base hours ahead of schedule. We now know this is what happened. The instruments were right. They were carefully tested after the plane was discovered in the desert. They were in perfect working order. On the instrument panel of every plane, and within every human heart and mind, these words should be deeply etched. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Remember those signals from the inner ear? Some of them are right, some are wrong. Slowing down. But without an accurate Four. external standard of reference, I'm we can stop. be completely wrong and not even know it. The same thing can apply to reason and logic. When faced with several equally logical alternatives, we can't just trust the way we feel. At such times, man must have an accurate standard of reference to guide him. Instrument flying is based solidly on the principle that the pilot must have an accurate standard of reference outside himself, and he must have unwavering faith in that standard. An astronaut taking off on a space trip depends upon the laws used to compute his trajectory. He knows that they're not going to change before he can get back to Earth. This unshakable faith that the universe is governed by unchanging laws is the cornerstone of modern science. Now, there's just one area where man still clings to the outmoded idea that there are no absolute laws to guide him. 
This is the moral and spiritual. An area where man is making little, if any, progress. The one area where he refuses to accept a standard of reference outside himself. Now, the cornerstone for the vast global network of air traffic control is the faith of the pilot. Without this, everything becomes useless and the pilot is doomed. Remember that haunting, frantic cry for help? At that moment, the plane was being tracked on radar. All the instruments and electronic systems were working. The men on the ground were doing everything they could to help. But there was one all-important thing they could not do for the pilot. They couldn't believe for him. God has provided a complete system for our moral and spiritual guidance. He has given us a handbook which describes its unchanging standards. And here, too, faith is the cornerstone of the system. Without it, everything becomes useless. Now, faith is something you as an individual must supply. Oh, it may be encouraged by others, but in the last analysis, it's your personal responsibility. And once again, faith is the difference between life and death. For there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And yet there's a wonderful alternative. It stems from the love of God for man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Turn left heading 243, 243, new heading. The instrument pilot, recognizing his physical limitations, accepts by faith the guidance that is provided for him. In view of man's spiritual needs and limitations, is it not even more necessary for us to accept God's guidance? Cometh thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the truth that you have given us in your word and for the guidance that you give through that. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to take that time to read your word and to learn of you. Lord, that we might trust that instrument that you've given us. I pray that you would bless the rest of this day, that we would be drawn closer to you. Help us to be an encouragement to each other. In Jesus' name, amen.